All right, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tumtabai. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg, Dr. Justin Quinn. Trades are happening by the moment. There's no need for a lengthy intro. We welcome in a good friend of the pod, Nick Fay of the Brooklyn Buzz Podcast and Off the Buzz Basketball to talk about everything that has happened in the past 24 hours and, and beyond. Nick, how are you? I'm doing well, Cam. It's obviously been super busy, especially with all the James Harden drama and the recent trades we've seen. So happy to be back. I, I like my intro this time better than last time. Last time, I think you called me a non-interesting guest. So I've moved up <laughs> in the world. <laughs> yeah, you, you have gotten more interesting. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, a little inside baseball here. We, we asked Nick to come on just to talk about the state of the Celtics and the state of the Nets. Uh, before we knew how pertinent that would be. Um, so we're going to talk actually about all the trades and all the trade buzz. And then in the lab portion of the programming, we'll talk about the Nets and we'll talk about the Celtics. But realistically, it might be a little bit till we get there. Alex, how are you? Justin, how are you? Doing well, Cam. You know, just trucking along, uh, getting through the school year while also nervously watching my phone for all of the crazy trades. I was literally in a uh, like, planning meeting for the rest of the uh, history department. And I saw the breaking news for the Sabonis trade and I had to keep my mouth very closed. <laughs> Not doing too bad over here in Mexico City, just trying to keep up with all of this fun news. All right, well, this is going to be maybe one of the most exciting editions of the Celtics Lab podcast. And the Celtics Lab podcast is, of course, brought to you by betonline.ag. Okay, let's talk about what has happened. As best we can tell at this moment, it's 5.44 Eastern time on Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to start with the Pacers trade that you just mentioned, Alex. So anyone who is unaware or hasn't digested it yet, the Pacers are sending to Sacramento uh, DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a second round pick. And the Kings are sending to Indiana, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. Nick, I'll go to you first. Let's do it. Who won the trade? I mean, I think it's a win for the Pacers. Tyrese Halliburton was a guy that, you know, the Kings mentioned, I think like weeks ago, he was untouchable, wouldn't include him in the Ben Simmons trade. And I think, you know, there, it was kind of known that DeMontis Sabonis wanted to get out of Indiana, you know, talking to our good friend, Corey, there's been a lot of rumblings of his wife, not being happy, him not being happy with that whole situation. So, I mean, it's a, it's a real dub for the Pacers. It kind of really kickstarts the rebuild. They got really good value for Sabonis who didn't look like he was happy being there. And then Halliburton's a guy that could potentially be an you know, all-star for them in the future. And then Buddy Heald, you know, even if you don't look at keeping him, you could probably move him for, you know, a late first round pick to a contender. So if I was a Pacer fan, I'd be really happy. And for the Kings, they're the Kings. You know, they did add an all-star player, <laughs> but I don't think the value in the trade is there. Alex, what do you miss? Did, I mean, did Kevin Pritchard have a gun? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Trading the foundation of your future, the guy that every Kings fan was hoping that they could build the franchise back up around, Tyrese Halliburton who's shooting 40% on pull-up threes and averaging seven assists a game at 21 years old. And you trade him for one-time all-star DeMontis Sabonis. Good player. Also a player who's definitely going to leave Sacramento the first chance he gets. <laughs> mm -hmm. What are we doing here? Justin Holiday literally can't play in Sacramento. He is not going to get vaccinated and they have a vaccine mandate. The Kings just boggle the mind. I truly don't understand. They're the worst run franchise in professional sports. I'm sorry, Kings fans. 
I just, and, and, but here's the thing. I know that Kings fans probably agree with me on that statement, yep. at least a, a hefty chunk of them. So Kings fans, I'm sorry that you have to go through this. Corey Pacers fans, congratulations. Rick Carlisle is going to turn Tyrese Halliburton into a franchise cornerstone along with Chris Duarte. So your backcourt is probably set for the next five years, at least. I don't, I just don't understand why. You got to strip down the roster for the inevitable move to Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can Lighten think the of. load on the truck. Yeah. I mean, I think for the Kings, though, it starts with ownership. You know, that's there's been a lot of issues there and acquiring players and not having a plan and going fully with the rebuild and kind of always being caught in this in between instead of just sticking to one thing and going with it. Like it, it doesn't really do much. You know, it doesn't I don't even think it guarantees them a playing spot. Obviously, they'll be substantially better with Sabonis, but there's a lot of, you know, question it's with the fits. Like Holmes and Sabonis, are they going to be able to play minutes? They both operate inside. So it, it's just not a good look for them. Like you said, Alex, Pacers, you know, you got to be really happy with the future. And like they could tank the rest of the season and end up with a top three pick and then all of a sudden be really, really set. And like there's still a chance they move Miles Turner and Miles Turner could probably maybe net you a first round pick or another good young player to keep building forward. So, you know, what looked like a really bad situation for the Pacers is turned around into potentially being a, a quick rebuild. Yeah, I respect that. I respect the hell out of Indiana. I mean, they just, they don't tank. They firmly reload. Yep. And to your point, maybe this season they'll get a good draft pick, not by design, but by luck. Um, I mean, they've been a really unlucky team this season, but yep. what a, what a haul for the Kings. I'm interested to see where Bagley goes. I can't imagine he sticks around. I'm interested to see if Harrison Barnes is on his way out. Um, but I don't think any, one of us is like really that impressed by this team. I think Fox and Sabonis is like an interesting duo sort of would have been a better fit with Halliburton. Just like his, his his pace kind of fits with Sabonis better with Aaron Fox is more of like that speed guy. And you're probably looking more to put an athlete with Fox rather than Sabonis. Who's not a bad athlete, but he's kind of just doing things himself. So it's weird. Sabonis is a half court dude. I mean, the the best version of Sabonis is a guy playing a, really like slow, deliberate half court offense with a lot of movement that maximizes his ability as a passer, yep. interior scorer and rebounder and play pairing him with Darren Fox, whose best skill is just pure end to end speed. I just, I don't understand. All right. Well, we'll put a pin in it. I, mean, I got, I just, one more thing, Cam, you brought sure. up an interesting name. Harrison Barnes is just like, is that a guy that's going to also be moved as well? Like is, you know what I mean? Or is he a guy they want to keep for the fit because they lost Buddy Heald, who's their kind of their floor spacer. Barnes is a good three-point shooter, but that'd be an interesting name. I think for both of our teams, you know, specifically for the Nets, just kind of interested to see what they do with the rest of the moves. Even Holmes, like I mentioned, not the best fit with Sabonis, a guy that's been kind of around. So who knows? Like it, it's, it, they're the hardest team to probably predict in the NBA because they make such bad trades. You know, them, and the Blazers haven't made good trades either. So shout out them. Well, good segue. I mean, I would just add that I think the Kings think that this is a good trade and that they're, <laughs> they're contending. So I would yeah. hazard they're going to keep Barnes, but yep. uh, a smarter version of the Kings would would have done a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, speaking of Portland, you know, we had another trade uh, today. The Sabonis trade was first and the Portland trade was second, but that'll be old news as soon as I have the backwards. Yeah, you did. I think the McCollum trade came first. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It was like, you know, sorry, I had to cut you off. No, Justin. Okay. But uh, like, oh, we saw the Pelicans try to make a move for the play. And so we're going to do the same thing. I was just like, what? Like, you guys aren't that serious contenders in the West. 
All right, so we went from one trade to another. Doesn't matter the order. Yeah, no, so the, are, I was, the reason I was going like, ah, is just because the, the intern <laughs> put them in the order that uh, they, I spayed them off of, who seemed to be drunk today or at least enjoying himself on some kind of perception altering. Two Jeremy Lambs. Two Jeremy yeah. Lambs, Nikhil Walker-Alexander, and... Uh, He's got a lot of phones, Justin. He's, he's got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, he's, he's the Paul Pierce <laughs> meme. Okay. <laughs> so a different trade happened at a different point in time. Not that time is time's just a construct, right, Kyrie? Okay, so the Pelicans are sending Josh Hart, Tomas Sadaransky, uh, Alexander Walker, or Al- Nikhil Alexander. Oh, my God. <laughs> What's his fucking name? That wasn't me, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Thank you. I copied, I copied it from Woj's tweets and, uh, well... Yeah, I can't blame that. Oh, I can't blame turn on that. I just read that. Um, whatever. He's he's going to a sad Portland team. Uh, Didi Lazuda and some picks with some protections, which we can talk about, to Portland. Portland's trading CJ McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell to the Pelicans. So <laughs> all of that set up. Nick, who won the trade? Yeah, I mean, I think you feel really good of your New Orleans. You know, like you've gotten two quality players. You know, CJ McCollum is an above average starter. You know, you'd probably call him a fringe all-star. I would call Larry Nance Jr. a solid starter and also someone that fits well next to Zion. Whenever Zion plays, you know, Nance is a guy that can play that complementary role, knock down the three ball, good defender, good help defense. I think he'll help kind of set that culture there in New Orleans that at times is, you know, not great. So I'm really happy to have the Pelicans. And this is the kind of move you have to make to worry about, you know, keeping Zion happy when he comes back and trying to make that play and push. And really like Josh Hart's a good piece. You know, Alexander Walker's a, a potential good piece moving forward, but they really didn't give up a ton for these guys. It's kind of just been a wild fire sale in, uh, in Portland and teams are taking advantage. Alex, go for it. Yeah, so I think this went from a slight win with its, if it's just CJ McCollum going to New Orleans, I think it's a slight win for New Orleans. With Larry Nance involved, I think that's actually a pretty big win. I think, I think pretty highly of Larry Nance as a player, and I think he can contribute to a variety of different uh, aspects of winning basketball. So I think it's a win as well for New Orleans. I don't think it's quite as big a loss for Portland, depending on kind of what they do from here. Josh Hart is a good player, but I think he would be more valuable to Portland as somebody who gets rerouted as part of a different deal. And if that ends up happening, and I'm looking particularly with Yusuf Nurkic, uh, that, that could end up being good for Portland. But it really matters what their intentions are. Because Woj tweeted earlier today that the intention is to rebuild and retool around Damian Lillard, I don't see how this deal helps them do that. I think this deal makes a lot more sense if Damian Lillard is potentially on his way out this summer and they're scrapping the entire roster for parts. The weird thing is they were mentioned as a a rumor for trying to acquire Jeremy Grant from Detroit earlier today from Jake Fisher. Yeah, that's weird. I don't see it. So, Justin, did Jody Allen just write that tweet for Woj or what? What do you think is going on there? I mean, it, it, what else is going on there? I couldn't possibly imagine. There, I mean, I guess they could, you know, try to reward his loyalty, but that would be a bad idea, particularly with the emergence of Anthony Simons. It just seems like the smartest move is to get all the assets you can, get as young as you can, and start moving in a new direction because the core that was there was clearly not going to do it. And I am highly skeptical that adding 
more older veterans in particular is going to be enough to build around Dame when you could just send him someplace else, get some some hefty, chunky assets and, and kind of hyper hyper drive through not really a rebuild, but a retooling kind of more like an Indiana style situation. For sure. I see that too. I mean, it occurs to me that this wasn't great return for CJ McCollum, who has been a really successful player in the postseason for a while. And in the modern NBA where, where players plan their free agency months in advance, I don't know that that many players want to play with Dame and, and Dame is well liked as best as we can tell anyways, but I would just, I would have thought that there would have been some backdoor shenanigans to, to up CJ's trade value if someone wanted to go play with Dame. And even if uh, Portland does open up all this cap space and the idea is, okay, let's bring in a star player this summer. They've got an interim GM. The coach is an un, uh, uh, is unproven. There's whispers about selling the team. I, it just seems, Justin, to your point, so much more likely that they would send Portland out. I mean, Portland out, Dame out. And I don't know if you, if you're setting up for that. Was this that great of a haul? I yeah, don't know. I think you could say the same thing about, you know, the previous trade they made last week with Robert Covington and Norman Powell when they, they gave those two up and they really didn't get good value. And you know, they traded two first to acquire Covington. They traded a first to acquire Larry Nance. So that's three first they gave away. It just kind of feels like these moves for Portland should have came two or three years ago when we all kind of thought like, hey, Damon CJ probably aren't enough to win a championship. You got to kind of go into another direction. Now it feels like they're going to be tough, uh, caught in a tough spot given You know, you have Dame who's coming off the ab injury, didn't look great this season when he played, didn't look good in the Olympics. And then you're just you're you're not that attractive of a location. You know what I mean? Like you said, it seems like Dame's likable, but like, you know, people mention, oh, they have enough cap space to sign James Harden. Like, would James Harden want to sign with Dame and try to win a championship? No, I don't think so. So I can't imagine James Harden enjoying living in Portland. That just strikes me as the most implausible thing that could possibly happen. I largely agree with that. And what's what you have to consider with all of this is that. So Nick, you mentioned that these seem like deals that maybe should have happened two to three years ago, rather than right now. Um, Obviously, Neil Olshay has been running the Portland Trailblazers up until somewhat recently. So if I could contextualize these moves, I think they make sense only in the sense that like, these are moves that maybe people in the Portland organization were pushing for, for some time. And Neil Olshay ultimately didn't pull the trigger on. I'm going to be interested to see what their front office situation looks like going forward, because I have a feeling that Chauncey Billups might actually be getting some more power rather than less in that front office. Which might not be great. It's really tough. It's rare that you see, you know, front office power in coaching these days. And I think also just a quick comment on the CJ contract. I think they're probably kind of happy to get that off. And then obviously he had the collapse long this year, which is a pretty damn serious injury. So, you know, they might feel good about just kind of clearing the books and kind of getting a reset to whoever who is, you know, the next GM there, or the next front office executive that's in charge of making all the big moves. Just while Nick, you brought it up uh, to close the books on that other uh, trailblazers trade, Norman Powell and Robert Covington down to the Clippers in exchange for Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and Eric Bledsoe. I, I like that move a lot for the Clippers. I mean, this Clippers team, I don't know what the hell is going on. They just are hanging around. It sets um, them up to be favorites next year. Yeah. Or at the very least, the flexibility to yep. do something really cool. Um, I assume we, we all agree, weird trade for Portland fine if not good trade for the clippers 
Yeah, I yeah. think it's a great trade for the Clippers. Honestly, I don't think you can find better value. And like they acquired Norman Powell without giving up anything. Like they have no assets. Like don't they can only trade players. They trade all their picks for Paul George, and they just acquired. You know, Powell's not like an all star, but he's a really good player, another scorer that can kind of help break things up and make you less reliant on Paul George and Kawhi, especially with Kawhi coming off a major injury, and then even Paul George coming off a major injury. So like, and Covington, like. This is a perfect role for him. He's a complimentary role player that shines next to stars when he's able to just do the dirty work. That's what they want him to do in Los Angeles. It, it's a really good, really good job from them. And honestly, like if I was a team, I'd be worried about the Clippers for next season because of how good they could potentially be with all the pieces they have. And all these guys are kind of developing a little bit further, given all the minutes they're able to play this year. And Ty Lue's done an excellent job with that team. If the Clippers can upgrade at the five spot and get just marginally better at the center position than they are right now, I think that starting lineup, assuming Reggie Jackson continues to play the way he has been, uh, that starting lineup of Reggie Jackson, Norm Powell, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and a slight upgrade at center is potentially the best starting lineup in the Western Conference heading into next, next year. Yeah. I mean, and they're playing, they, I mean, I think they prefer maybe even to play small ball like they did against Utah and put Batum at center. Like they've had good lineups with that too. There's just more flexibility and they don't have to be relying on, you know, five or four players because now there's actually some depth to that team. Yeah. And Norman, I mean, they have the contracts now yeah. to, uh, to go make get bigger moves too. All right. And then finally, last, last deal that has happened as of now it's six o'clock on the East coast. Karis LeVert is headed to Cleveland uh, along with the second round pick for Ricky Rubio is basically his contract, uh, first round pick and two second round picks. Uh, the disabled player exception that the Cavs had is gone, which might be relevant for the Celtics. Uh, what do we think of the trade? Good, bad. Mid? I love Karis LeVert. Uh, I have an irrational bias for him. I think, he, you know, he, he obviously was drafted by the Nets, but he's also just a great guy who's had some really bad luck in the NBA, you know, from the dislocated ankle to, you know, dealing with cancer last season after being traded. So, you know, shout out Karis, really excited for what he can do and with Cleveland. He's from Ohio. He gets reunited with his boy, Jared Allen. So I love it for them and adding another score, another piece and a youngish player that can kind of develop with them. And I think it's a good return for the Pacers. They got essentially a first and second round pick for Karis Avert, who who's been really inconsistent. A lot of that's due to injury. If you can get Lavert on the floor and get some consistency, he's a good player, but that's the problem is getting him on the floor consistently. And Maybe for the Cavs, it's not as big a deal because he's not going to be their prominent ball handler. You know, that's Darius Garland. He's going to be more in that secondary role. And he's the type of guy that could drop 30 in a playoff game and might be able to get you extend the series or maybe even get you to the next round. So I really like what Cleveland's doing in general. And this was another nice move for them. Largely agree with the, the interpretation of the trade. The only thing that I want to add to that is that there had been some speculation that Dennis Schroeder was a target of the Cavaliers. This isn't necessarily closed. They can still trade players for him and not use an exception, which is, as you said, now gone. But oh, something is a war going on outside. Uh, I'm not too far from a Catholic church, if you can hear those <laughs> firework noises. Uh, but yeah, so, so the Schroeder thing, it's less likely now. There's less tools to make it happen, but it could definitely still happen and get Boston to text as well. All right. Well, we we've covered what has happened as best we can tell, and what is going to happen uh, is a fool's errand to try to figure out. However, if you do think that you are good at predicting the future, you should probably check out BetOnline.ag. The big game is finally here as we hit Super Sunday with the last game of the football season, and BetOnline has you covered. 
from odds, scores, totals, player performance props to where the next coach is going to land. Bet online is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. Alex, the line is shifting for the big game, so I'm not going to give it to you. Instead, I'm going to give you this really interesting prop that I found on betonline.ag, which will be higher on Sunday. Total touchdowns scored by the Rams, minus 130, or Tatum's three points made against the Hawks, plus 100. This is tricky because Jason Tatum has been playing really well, but the only thing that he's really been struggling with this season is hitting the three at a consistent clip. Then again, I kind of think that the Cincinnati Bengals defense has been slept on and underrated, and my Titans experienced that firsthand. If I had a gun to my head, if I had to pick one, I think I'm going to lean. I think I'm going to lean Tatum three pointers. I think he's going to get slightly more just because I think there's going to be more volume. So I would say slight lean Tatum three pointers made against the Hawks over Rams touchdowns. The Super Bowl is weird. Teams tend to score less than you think they're going to score. So I would I would say Tatum three pointers. Yeah, the, the last time the Rams were in the Super Bowl, they scored like three points against a team that won yeah. a lot of Super Bowls or something. I think I remember that. Yeah, um, that's true. Alex, I know you have another prop bet. You want to tell us about it real quick? Absolutely. This is one of my favorite prop bets that happens every year. What color of liquid or Gatorade is going to be poured on the winning coach for the big game? We've got two very interesting teams here. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals repping orange and the Rams repping yellow slash lime green, whatever that kind of artificial coloring is. Obviously there are some other bets that you should take a look at. Uh, clear is plus 200, which I don't know. I'm not sure about the clear. Does, does that mean water? I, I think it might mean water or clear Gatorade. I just, I don't really. I think clear that. Gatorade is like black cherry. Not my yeah. favorite. I don't really see that. None is at plus 800. That I, that strikes me as a sucker bet. That's just guaranteed to lose. I really like Orange at plus 300. I'm rocking with Joey B and the Bengals. I think they're going to do it. And I think that they. it would be a shame if they didn't win without some Orange Gatorade to dump on Zach Taylor. So I'm going Orange at plus 300. I will say it's supposed to be like outrageously hot in LA on Sunday. Maybe they'll drink all the Gatorade. And there'll be no Gatorade to pour on the coaches. <laughs> it's not just football. I bet online.ag. Basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds are all covered and the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination. If you head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device and sign up using the promo code CLNS50, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. CLNS50. The fastest and easiest way to wager all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games, bet online where the game starts. All right, let's uh, let's do our own predicting about what's going to happen between now and Thursday afternoon. A point of clarity, I was pretty sure it was 3 p.m. Eastern. Someone said 4 p.m. Eastern. Anyone? It's, it's 3 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Okay, cool. It typically, uh, and then you can have some trades that technically go into yeah. the league late, like around that time, long as they get the paperwork in, it might not get announced to four. Occasionally you'll see that. It's typically like the smaller trades though. Right. Cool. No, I saw, I was 95% sure, but <laughs> worth double checking. Okay. We'll do some of these quick because we want to carve out time to really talk about the Nets, carve out time, uh, talk about the Celtics, but just some of the flirtations that we've heard recently from a Boston frame Nick, tell us if we're being overzealous or underzealous about some of these. So the first one I want to talk about, uh, there's rumors that Grant Williams could become a buck. 
the Bucs uh, wanted Grant Williams. The Celtics said no. The deal would be Grant for Dante DiVincenzo and maybe another sweetener or something like that. I suspect Justin Alex and I are against that move, just like the Boston front office. Nick, is that a good deal, an okay deal, bad deal for the Celtics? You know, I think value-wise, it's probably pretty close to fair, but I would argue that it's probably harder to acquire a player like Grant Williams in terms of like his versatility and flexibility than Dante DiVincenzo, who is coming off an injury, hasn't really gotten the groove this season yet too. And like, he's, you know, essentially like a combo guard that can do the dirty work, good three-point shooter. So, I mean, it's honestly like who you believe could complement your set of stars better and, you know, how they're going to develop moving forward. Like whoever you think is going to have the higher ceiling or become the better player player. Cause I think both guys are around the same range. Like either it wouldn't be like a deal breaker. Are we talking like a superstar trade and these guys were both part of that trade? I think it's fair value, but it's kind of just in the eye of the beholder and how you think that guy fits with your team. And I, I like Grant Williams. Like I think he'd be a great fit with the Nets. I wouldn't be as interested in Dante DiVincenzo just because I think the skill set is a little easier to acquire. And like I said, he's coming off a major injury and hasn't really popped yet. Yeah. I- I suspect, again, with unbiased eyes, you're right about that. Justin or Alex, any pushback? I mean, I think I largely agree. I have been on the record as saying that if you're going to trade Grant Williams, the time to do it is not at the trade deadline. It's in the offseason. Uh, and I don't think that Dante DiVincenzo would be an appropriate return for Grant Williams. I just, I don't really see that. I think if you can convince Milwaukee to take a lesser package, such as Dennis Schroeder or Romeo Lankford or something like that, then that strikes me as more appropriate. Dante has had a really tough season. He's been really struggling to get back into form after getting some pretty serious injuries last year. I think that it's reasonably optimistic to take a flyer on him and see if he can get back to that form, but not if you're giving up a meaningful asset, which Grant Williams has largely become for this team. I mean, he is their best three-point shooter by a mile. I just, I don't think that's a good trade. I don't have anything else to add to that other than we know that Grant works. You know, Grant is working. Arguably, Grant needs to be being, being played more than he is being played, not removed from the team for a question mark. Now, I, I agree that Dante has about the same ceiling and in different ways can help a team, but we don't even know what the backcourt of this team is going to look like necessarily. And if it looks anything like it does now, he's not needed. So I'm out too. Yeah. And I think the other trade like Dennis Schroeder for Dante DiVincenzo, if I was the Bucks, I'd probably rather keep Dante just because you guys know Dennis, Dennis ain't always it. Like he's okay. as like a backup role sometimes, but he's not somebody you necessarily want to rely on. And I think for the Bucks, they don't, they'd rather have take their chance with a DiVincenzo who has proven in the past to fit really well than rather than Schroeder. The one reason I see them having interest in Schroeder would be the ties to coach Bud. Obviously he coached him at Atlanta. Seems like they had a great relationship. So all right. Well, on the Dennis topic, uh, another team, another two teams that might be interested in Dennis that we know about, supposedly, maybe who knows this time of year, Chicago and Cleveland have been tied to Schroeder. I think it, it's what we've talked about for weeks. If the Celtics can get under the tax, that's great for them. If they can get some value back for Schroeder. That's even better, but it really is about the tax. It's not necessarily about getting equal value. So Justin and Alex vis-a-vis Bucks, Cleve, I mean, he's going to the Rust Belt, I guess. Um, between Chicago, Cleveland, and Milwaukee, is there a better home for Dennis Schroeder? I would lean towards the Bucks, just for all of the reasons that we kind of mentioned. I think that if the Bulls were willing to offer Kobe White for maybe Schroeder and some other stuff, I assume they wouldn't offer him for Schroeder straight up. 
then that's something that the Celtics would really have to consider. And I think Brad Stevens has been pushing for that. I don't think that the Bulls are going to do that. I think they're going to stick firm with their offer of Troy Brown Jr. And if that's the case, that's fine. I don't particularly love it for the Seas just because I would rather see them attempt to get a little bit of shooting or upgrade on the uh, you know, on, on their perimeter spacing and Troy Brown Jr. really doesn't do that a whole lot. Uh, but if the number one priority is for the Celtics, as has been mentioned, ducking the tax, then that strikes me as a reasonable, if not particularly interesting or fun move. The Cavs, I think that that would be interesting because I feel like, first off, the Cavs are potentially the team that needs Dennis Schroeder the most out of those group, out of that group. And so they might be willing to offer up more on that end. I do think that it's unlikely that they would offer up players that can help the Celtics right now. The one caveat is that Dylan Windler is a name that I've seen tossed around a little bit. And if Dylan Windler is on the table, the Celtics should absolutely jump at that. He fits exactly what they're looking for in terms of wing shooting that's cheap and will still keep them under the tax. So my favorite would probably be of the realistic offers, uh, Dennis Schroeder for some combination of Dylan Windler and other stuff. Uh, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I'd be all in on that. So. I would just say, oh, sorry to cut you off. I would just say, I feel, I feel Cleveland is probably less interested in Schroeder after acquiring Lavert, who is capable of running your second unit and, you know, doing some of the point guard duties. And they do have Rajon Rondo there. And Schroeder's kind of like an interesting personality. If, you know, like he doesn't always get along with everybody. And he has some, I, I would say, interesting views of himself, just thinking about how he turned down that Lakers offer and stuff like that. So if I was Cleveland, they seem interested in keeping their culture. I'm not sure if Schroeder's the guy that they want to acquire. Fair point. Uh, one of the so what, what he was what Alex was referring to was I think it was John Hummel was it John Hollandred somebody from the Athletic was recently reporting that a combination of maybe Jared Weiss sorry Jared if you're listening um, a combination of Ed Davis Kevin Pengos and Dylan Windler any any two of those guys would be enough to get Boston under the tax. And um, as Alex and I are want to do on this podcast, um, he stole my talking point in this particular case. Uh, I would love to see Dylan Windler on this team just because he he is not probably yet going to be much more than he is. So we don't really need to worry about developing him very much. But he also does serve a very useful role yep. and add some shooting to the second unit. So that would be an ideal target for me. And he started a lot of games for them when they were dealing with a ton of injuries. He's just like a solid player you don't mind having around. You know, he's not going to be a world beater or anything like that, but he's a quality player in your rotation to just take some minutes and, you know, hit some shots. Yeah, it's what we said before. If the Celtics can get value back, that's fantastic. If they duck the tax, that's really what it's all about. And hopefully the Jays understand that. Um, There were, Maybe we'll talk about this in a little bit. I think it's tough. It's tough when you're, you know, as good as Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are, you want to always win. Obviously you have some understanding of the situation and in your head, it's just like, do I really care about the owner saving money? Probably not. Like, you know what I mean? It's hard to tell players that. So like I get it from the ownership perspective and, you know, you want to save money because you don't think you're going to win a championship, but from a player's perspective, you always think there's a chance, especially when you're as good as those two. Yeah. I mean, Jalen Brown's been to three Eastern conference finals. I don't think that he thinks he can't do it again, but yeah. uh, the repeater taxes are real and <laughs> painful thing to Bain do. Bain Capital has a valuation of $120 billion. I don't care.
care about the stupid repeater tax. I mean, at some point, yes, I get it. But if they go into the tax this year to get somebody who's actually worth it, they should be happy. Yeah. Uh, You sound like Nets fans on Nets Twitter. They do not want to hear anything about tax or repeater tax. Hey, you can win a championship. You go out and get it done. If you're the worst team in the league, sure, I understand. But it's not like Boston isn't a big city. It's not like they do bad with ticket sales or merch and stuff like that. So for me, like repeater tax, not that big a deal. I don't know. Uh, It's not our money, but it's easier to talk about. (laughs) Not yet anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I'd take that $10 million cut of the Nets money for ducking the tax, but that's just me. All right. One last kind of a rumor thing, and then we'll talk about the Nets actually, is that uh, Josh Richardson is coveted, understandably. The Lakers have been tied to Richardson. The Taylor Horton Tucker, Lakers 2027 first, the only thing they could offer for anything has been tied to Josh Richardson. And I think more accurately, the Timberwolves have been tied to not just Richardson, but also Smart and Malik Beasley would probably be the name involved there. Uh, For off the court reasons, I don't want Malik Beasley to become a Boston Celtic. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. But Justin, Alex, I'll go to you first. What do you think of the possibility that Richardson or Smart end up in Minnesota in the next few days? I was pointing to you, Alex, but I'll, I'll just go. Uh, I don't think it's very high just because of the fact that, I mean, we don't know this new regime, but I, I have to believe that considering there's a pretty large overlap of the last regime in Boston, that they don't really like the idea of bringing on people who have to, shall we say, engage with the carceral state in the off season. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the nicest way I could possibly put it. So uh, for them to be considering like as a player, Beasley is a very good player. I think he's basically getting squished out of, uh, the, the shots that he was getting previously, the previous several seasons in Minnesota with the emergence of Anthony Edwards. But that saying his off court stuff is just too much to just ignore. Even if you think it's going to go better, you have to worry about that. Even, you know, I've heard that he he has a friendship with, with Jalen Brown. That may be true, but it's it's such a potential distraction slash problem for them that it would have to be a very substantial offer for them to consider it. So I don't think it's happening. I wouldn't peg it as likely. I do think Brad Stevens might be a little bit more interested in Malik Beasley than we're giving him credit for, particularly because, as you mentioned before, Malik Beasley is pretty undervalued, just given that he's getting pushed out of the rotation and is a pretty good player. And I do think if we're thinking long term and we're potentially thinking about the Celtics uh, looking to acquire a third star player to pair with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which is something that they have said pretty openly at this point. That is one of their goals. I would have to think that Malik Beasley would be a more appealing player in a sign and trade uh, just from a pure basketball standpoint than Josh Richardson. That being said, I think that it's pretty unlikely that this happens primarily because I think if the Celtics deal Dennis Schroeder, in all likelihood, Josh Richardson is going to become their backup point guard full time. And I would be very surprised if they uh, deal him in a package. I mean, I guess Beasley could in theory be that. But at this point, I would be pretty surprised. I'll tell you what's definitely not happening is Josh Richardson getting dealt to the Lakers for Taylor Horton Tucker. That is no way going down. Taylor Horton Tucker, I, I saw an anonymous tweet by a GM today that described Taylor Horton Tucker as a negative value contract. And I wow. could not agree more. 
I don't think that's happening. I should have signed Alex Caruso, but <laughs> that's that's for another podcast, not us. Um, like you guys said, I think Malik Beasley with the off the court stuff is definitely a worry because it's not even the fact that like he had an incident, he's had multiple incidents, and now you have to worry about that being a reoccurring thing and causing issues in your locker room. But I think from a skill set perspective, he'd be a great fit on the Celtics because they could use more three-point shooting. You know, he's a good three-point shooter. Like you guys mentioned, his role in Minnesota hasn't necessarily been ideal and it's been kind of all over the place given Anthony Edwards' emergence, D'Lo kind of getting back to fringe all-star form. So, you know, the skill set is there. It's kind of off the court stuff. And like the Lakers and Josh Richardson, like, yeah, it's great. Lakers have interest in a lot of guys, but they don't really have anything to offer other than picks. I'll say this about Richardson. He's always attracted to teams because it feels like the idea of Josh Richardson is better than actually what you get on the court and actual performance. So it's like, oh, he it feels like he could be a great fit for our team. And then you actually acquire him and you're like, oh, yeah, didn't actually really work out. So we, we've kind of buried the biggest possible lead we could, which is that while we're talking about fringe moves for our favorite team, <laughs> There's a chance that something seismic is going to happen in the NBA, which is Nick Wire here. In an hour and change, the Celtics and Nets are going to play in Brooklyn, but uh, Kyrie can't play for reasons. Kevin Durant can't play because he's injured. And James Harden is reportedly being kept out of the game because maybe he won't be a net for much longer. Um, perhaps by the time this podcast drops, he won't be a net. So let's let's do it. Let's talk about it. Um, where are you at with the rumors what do you believe? What do you not believe? What do you hope? What do you fear? What's uh, the state of the union in Brooklyn buzz land? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any hope or fear. Like, um, you know, whatever happens, happens. It's not the end of the world. I think there's still a potential with the Nets making this move. They still have a championship window with the potentially of acquiring Ben Simmons, but getting to just James Harden, you know, you could kind of sense the frustration. You know, I think a month ago, we had an article saying that he was a little bit frustrated. There was a little pushback on that. Even James, after the game, though, said there were things that were frustrating him, like the amount of injuries the Nets have had. You know, Joe Harris has been out essentially the entire season. Somebody fell into Kevin Durant's leg. You mentioned Kyrie, part-time player, but didn't even play part-time until about halfway through the year. Even guys like LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, getting hurt and, you know, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin taking a step back. There's been a lot of things that have have been annoying for the Nets. And I think another thing that's been frustrating for Harden is in the off season, they focused on, you know, getting pieces that really complement probably Kyrie and Katie more than James Harden. And he feels like this is Kevin Durant's team, which it is because Katie signed the extension. He's the best player in the team. But James, I think feels that he's doing so much of the workload because of the injuries last year, a lot of, you know, Kyrie and Katie both were hurt. He had to carry the load, had to carry a load again this year. Then I also think there's a natural regression from James this season. You know, he tore his hamstring against the Bucks. That's not, that's a really serious injury. You can tell he lost some of his burst. The consistency isn't there. Like I, I can't tell you that he's had a good month this season. He's had two good games, a bad game, three good games, two bad games, whatever it is. He's not that MVP level James Harden. So I think there's frustration with the situation, frustration with himself. And then I also think there's some behind the scenes stuff with him being upset with Kyrie, but then there also being some stuff where maybe the Nets aren't as willing to give him that max extension. You know, I think it's like five years, 270, and that's like paying him 60 mil when he's 37 years old. And there maybe there's some backlash on that. So there's a lot of reasons for Harden to be upset, which, you know, fair to him. I understand it's not what you signed up for. I think just the way that he's gone about it hasn't been ideal. You know, obviously, I know you guys don't watch every single Nets game, but over this losing streak, they lost the game to the Kings. And that was a game in which James Harden just mailed it in. The, somebody on Twitter, Eric Slater, broke down all the clips. There's about five to 10 clips where he essentially 
did absolutely nothing on defense. You know, he made a swipe at the ball and then just kind of stood there, scored four points in that game. We're talking about James Harden scoring four points in a game. It's the guy that can for, score four points in 20 seconds. So I think there's frustration from the net side as well. That's why I think there is some willingness to make this move, especially if he's already got one foot out the door. And really it could be a blessing for the nets and that they don't have to give him that max extension and they could potentially open up their championship window longer with Ben Simmons and potentially Tyrese Maxey. Obviously they wouldn't be as big a favorites without Harden, but I think they're still capable of winning a championship. So there's a lot of digest with this situation. And there's also still the potential the ability of, you know, Harden staying with the Nets and them winning a championship this year. So it really can go all over the place in so many different directions. Yeah, and that's it, where the Nets on a game losing streak. I mean, the Nets, that's the thing is, so at the time of this writing, the Celtics and Nets are virtually tied in the standings, which would feel impossible mm-hmm. like literally even a, a month ago, but the Nets come to ran is injured. It, it's not a factor. James Harden is somewhere between discontent and injured and Kyrie Irving is only available part-time. It, it's really interesting because you're right that there's reason to believe that that big three could play together in the spring, if not half the time fully, depending on the state of vaccine mandates. And so if you're Josiah and you're the Nets, I mean, some of the things we talked about earlier in this podcast, winning solves everything. And if you, if you could get one title out of this and then Harden leaves and you let Kyrie leave for nothing, that's still worth it. Right. So there it's all doom and gloom right now, but there's a real world <laughs> still like the, the heavy favorite, depending on health and political circumstances, I suppose. And other potential moves for the Nets because they've been busy. Uh, obviously, right. there's there's been some rumblings about Joe Harris. You know, there's a chance he could need a second surgery on his ankle. The first surgery didn't go well. And uh, he's rehabbing right now to see if he can play on that. Or even if he does come back, he might not be 100%. But he's been a name mentioned in uh, trade rumors. There was a potential right. of, you know, including him with some assets for Jeremy Grant or potentially maybe looking at somebody like a Harrison Barnes or something like that. Like we mentioned before, not sure that's still on the table, but there's a lot of different things that could happen with this team. And that's what it's, it, that's what kind of confuses me as just like a fan perspective, not as much like a media perspective, but just as a fan, like how Harden could be content a few weeks ago. And then all of a sudden, you know, KD gets hurt. And now he's so upset. He wants to get traded where it's like, you know, KD's going to come back. It wasn't a torn ACL. It was just, you know, a sprained MCL in which he's doing fine with. And, you know, it's an injury he's dealt with in the past and has come back crystal clean. And like KD, when he was playing was arguably the best player in the NBA. So it's not like, you're paired up with nobody. I mean, I get it. Like I like hanging out with Justin and Alex, but when Justin leaves, I have to listen to Alex talk about JFK <laughs> conspiracies and it gets tired. <laughs> well, that's why there's been a lot of reports saying that, you know, Harden's been complaining about the nets, you know, at different points, you know, through back channels and stuff like that. But I guess it's something common that James Harden does. Like I said, I think there's a little bit of a, I don't know Harden, so I can't really say this, you know, for a fact, but it just seems like there's a lack of accountability for him with what his play is on the court as well. He's used to it being his organization. Yep. And I mean, he is back with a person who he left so he could have his own organization. So it doesn't really surprise me that when things haven't really gone all, you know, flowers and roses that maybe he's not, it's not worth the sacrifice to him unless that does happen. So in my mind, it could still work itself out depending on how things go and depending on what kind of promises he hears through back channels, et cetera. But for now, I think everything is on the table for the Nets and it should be because, you know, they have a lot of valuable things on their roster in terms of assets that they can use to retool and a lot of directions they can go in. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see what actually happens. 
Alex, you're one of my best friends in the world, and I have questions about the JFK assassination as well. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Put on, <laughs> put, put on your Sean Marks hat. I know you have many Sean Marks hats. What are you going to do? Are you, Alex, are you going to trade James Arden or not? And if you don't trade him, are you going to trade him in the offseason? Is that your mm. Sean Marks hat? <laughs> I think if my Sean Marks hat is on, I am going to give James Harden one last run this season and then think about dealing him in the offseason. And because here's the thing. If I know Daryl, and I, I think with my Sean Marks hat on, I have a reasonably good assessment of Daryl. I know that if I dangle James Harden in front of him, Daryl is not going to be able to resist holding on to Ben Simmons until the offseason to make that deal work. So I, as Sean Marks, I'm going to play this season out, hell or high water. I'm going to wait until Kevin Durant is back and healthy and try to make a title run with this core. If it doesn't work, I'm heading into the offseason, dangling James Harden in front of Daryl's eyes and saying, you can have him for the small fee of Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and some other stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is just the Nets are willing to make, I think the Nets are willing to make the move right now if the Sixers are willing to offer a package they like. And right now it seems like Daryl Morey's playing, you know, hardball. Uh, A lot of the reports have, you know, just Ben Simmons being offered or Ben Simmons and Danny Green. uh, And the Nets really want Tyrese Maxey to be part of the deal. So I think for the deal to get done this week, I think the Nets are going to have to probably get, you know, Ben Simmons, potentially Seth Curry, or maybe Ben Simmons, a, a filler in some draft picks. So there, I don't think there's a reason to really pressure them to make the deal because I think from the Nets organization, they just feel like, hey, if we can get healthy, get these guys back together, everything might be fine at the end of the year. You know, this still is a better chance for us to win a championship with James Harden than with Ben Simmons, unless, you know, Harden really doesn't want to be here and he's willing to kind of just throw the rest of the season, which I really don't think he is because I think a lot of the reason he wants to trade too at the end of the day is like he wants an opportunity to still win a championship. That's why Philadelphia is the only team that's potentially, you know, acquiring him. And, you know, Harden can be a free agent. The Sixers don't have the cap space. There's been some rumblings about them potentially, you know, trading Tobias Harris and some picks to OKC to get rid of that contract and open up the cap space. That's a risk the Nets might just have to take if the Sixers aren't willing to give them an offer they like, because I I think both teams are in a situation where they think they have way more leverage than they do. KD, uh, let me me just finish this thought before it departs. KD is the guy at that team now, right? I mean, he's what Harden wants to be. So in my mind, if I am, you know, Sean Marks in this particular instance, I'm doing what KD And based off of what I heard, I don't know if this has been reported, but it seems that KD is willing to let the front office do what they want in this situation. He prefers to play with Harden, but he understands what Harden's doing in the whole situation. And then also the possibility, like I said, like paying him that amount of money in the offseason could really hamper your franchise for the next five years. Again, like you said, though, Cam, you win a championship. Do you really care? I'm not sure. The Nets have never won a championship. So that, that's the end all be all. And I think that's the end all be all for every team. If you have a chance to win a chip, you go and do it. We saw what the Raptors did a couple of years ago with Kawhi. I think Alex is correct. I mean, I, I don't really disagree with anything anyone's raised. I, I would wait if this deal doesn't materialize, run it back. And then yes, the hard cap is, is a scary beast, but you could sign and trade James Harden in a lot of places and uh, specifically to Atlanta. So he can become president of magic city. <laughs> Because and there's more flexibility in the offseason too, because Kyrie will be a free agent. And now you can get do some cap gymnastics to find some things out and do some things that you need to do to potentially even add another piece that 
it's not on the board right now. Yeah, I a I can't wait for the Heat to win the title this year, and b I can't wait for James Harden to live and work in Atlanta. Okay, we have a same same but different uh, problem for the Celtics that is relatively old but also very new. Uh, a few, an hour ago, an hour and a half ago, Bradley Beal announced it was announced that Bradley Beal is going to have season-ending surgery, which basically is him saying you should you, you should trade me, right? I mean. Maybe he really needs the surgery. It sounds sure he does, but I mean, why now? Why today? Right now? Yeah, it seems the it's suspicious timing, yeah. and so it, it ripped open a, a usual nugget of conversation for Celtics people, which is should the Celtics trade for Bradley Beal? And before we hopped on this podcast, I said no, the Celtics should not trade for Bradley Beal, and some people disagreed with that. So Nick, our our esteemed guest, if you're the Celtics, if you are, no one knows who the Celtics GM is right now. If you were part of the Celtics front office, what would you do? I mean, it, a lot of it depends on like what's on the table. What's the deal I'm offering? Are they making me send a godfather offer or is Bradley Beal demanding a trade? And I'm one of the preferred destinations. You know, if you really want Bradley Beal to be acquired, uh, get Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum working, you know, tell him, start talking to Bradley Beal. Like that's the easiest way for it to happen. Stars get what they want for the most part. You know, James Harden, there's a reason that he could potentially be traded two years in a row because he's a star and they have the ability to kind of dictate that. I think Bradley Beal, you acquire him that raises the Celtics chances substantially. It just really depends on what they're giving up. But at the end of the day, you get the three all-stars, you figure out the rest later, you know, Jason Tatum, potentially a top 10 player next year. You know, I think he's still been around that fringe reign where there's more of a jump for him to make. You could argue the same for Jalen, you know, maybe not top 10, but he can still jump up a little bit higher. Bradley Beal's right around their age group as well. Like, I would roll with it. You have a couple years of flexibility too, in terms of like, they're not that old that you have to worry about jumping the gun in terms of like, we need to go all out this season. Like you acquire them one year, the next year you add a little bit more. Next thing you know, you might have a championship. So for me, I think if there's an opportunity to give you a real opportunity to win a championship, you have to take it. And I think if Bradley Beal is truly on the table, which he ha- it feels like he really hasn't been the last couple of seasons, you pull the trigger. It helps, like I said, though, if you can get him to demand the trade to Boston or Boston being preferred destination. Alex, you seemed gung-ho about this, certainly more than me. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's pretty much what Nick laid out. So obviously a lot of this is circumstantial. Bradley Beal has to want to go to the Celtics. But if he does want to go to the Celtics, if Jason Tatum's recruiting pitch, which has been burning for like, you know, two years now or so, if that actually works, then I don't think you really have a choice. The Celtics' number one priority is get a third star around Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Bradley Beal is an all-star level player. Even in what is considered to be a down season for Bradley Beal, he's still pulling up borderline all-star numbers. So I think if the opportunity is there, if Beal pushes to go to the Celtics, you would be crazy to not try and get him. I do think that there's some logistical hurdles for sure. Obviously, the Celtics do not have the cap space to sign Bradley Beal outright. They would have to send some outgoing salary. The question is, would Washington in those circumstances be willing to accept 
largely a salary dump offer with the main value being picks. Because if you get Bradley Beal, you almost certainly have to do so in a situation where you keep Robert Williams. Otherwise, your team's defense is screwed, to put it lightly. And I'm not sure, maybe they would, but I'm not sure that Marcus Smart would frankly make a whole lot of sense for a rebuilding Washington team. I don't see him as being all that valuable for what they'd be trying to do. So if you're getting Bradley Beal for the Celtics and you're not giving up those four guys, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, and Marcus Smart, then the only way that you can really do that in a realistic sense is by doing a combination of Josh Richardson, Al Horford, whatever young guys on the end of the bench you want to throw and pick value for the Wizards. Now, if the Wizards are in on that offer or if Bradley Beal forces the Wizards to be in on that offer, that's a no brainer. You have to do that because you immediately have one of the best starting fives in the Eastern Conference. Let me put a gun to your head and ask you, Alex, if we had to deal Robert Williams to get the deal done and Jason Tatum said, this is very important to me, what do you do? If Jason Tatum ultimately gives me that wink, wink, this is very important to me, then I have no choice because Jason Tatum is my franchise pillar. And what Jason Tatum wants, Jason Tatum gets. Jason, you don't want this. If Jason Tatum does not care that much about getting Bradley Beal and it's purely uh, Tommy Shepard and the Washington Wizards front office trying to angle for Robert Williams, then I am more hesitant because I do actually believe that Robert Williams is going to be a top 10 center if he can stay healthy. Yeah, I think the argument against that would probably just be like it's easier to replace, you know, a defensive minded center than it probably is to acquire a talent like Bradley Beal. Like that, that probably wouldn't be the holdup for me. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you're acquiring a great player. You have to give up good players or potentially good players down the line. Uh, I also look at it, too, as like maybe they don't include Smart in the deal, but Smart could be a guy that goes to a third team and you get a first round pick for it. And that becomes part of the deal. I think definitely possible when you have, you know, Bradley Beal, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, that's 90 points right there. I, you don't really need much for the rest of your team. And when you have those guys, you attract other players. You, the buyout market becomes your friend. Look at the Nets last year. They signed Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge. Obviously LaMarcus had to retire. Blake hasn't been as good this year, but he was great last season. You, and then you even get, you know, players coming at vet minimums or cheap deals. Like they got Patty Mills for the taxpayer mid-level exception. Like that all becomes potentially possible when you have that trio in place and there's real belief that you can win a championship. Obviously, you still have to potentially beat the likes of, you know, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, if they stay together or Philadelphia, whoever's there. But you feel really good against matching up with anybody because you have three guys that can essentially drop 50 in any game. I have a different opinion. I think whether it's Damian Lillard or James Harden or Bradley Beal, the return on investment isn't there. Uh, yes, winning titles is awesome. I think all, Beal no. is different than the other two because of age, in my opinion. He's, he's 29 and... Lots of mileage on those knees in the no John Wall era, but... And those oft-injured knees as, as such. The, something is happening right now in baseball, which is that they're kind of having to reimagine salary structure because takes until you're a 30 something year old player to get that 10 year contract. And what baseball and analytics have learned is that actually you peak in value when you're 25 or something like that. And I think that something is similar is happening or will happen in the NBA, which is these Russell Westbrook contracts, just it's the value isn't there and the value drops precipitously. So maybe 
two more years of James Harden or two more years of Bradley Beal or two more years of Dame Lillard is afforded to you on these quarter of a billion dollar extensions. But the tail end of those things is dangerously, uh, talk about golden handcuffs. Those are really just regular handcuffs. So as much as, yes, if you're on the precipice of contending, take the plunge. It's, it's the ultimate reason you're in the, the game in the first place. I just, I don't see it. I, I It is way too much money. It, it really gives me pause about Jalen Brown's future in Boston. It gives me pause about defensive, uh, Ud- Udoka laying out his defensive identity in Boston. And it gives me great pause if this team isn't, happy to spend deep into the tax what that team would actually look like with those three stars so it's not really a podcast for today because it's it's <laughs> it's a rumor of our own creation but it does echo the James Harden conversation enough that it felt like we should bring it up Nick we brought up we took so much of your time uh, I would just say one more thing Cam I just sure, looked up sure. the, the averages of the numbers so Bradley Beal has played about 22,000 minutes Dame has played about 26,000 and James Harden has played about 32,000. Yeah. James Harden is in a league of his own. Yeah. So like, I I feel like the regression for Dame and James is substantially more likely. I feel more confident in Bradley Beal being a good player. And then like you guys did mention, he's been injured, but it's also missed time. Like, and it's just like the wizards really haven't been that good. Dame and James have both in the playoffs, multiple seasons. The wizards were in what the, they were in the playoffs last year. They got swept. There was a quick series. So it's like, I feel more, a lot more confident in what Bradley Beal could do moving forward with a, a big contract. Like the Nets could trade James Harden for Bradley Beal right now. I might just pull the trigger just because I, I just feel confident what he could be in the next three to four years rather than what I think James Harden and Dame Miller could be in the next three to four years. All right. Well, let's, I'll get you out of here on this. Nick, Nick Faye, who hosts the Brooklyn Buzz podcast. Is James Harden a sixer by Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time? Yeah, it's a tough question, Cam. I mean, I can't even tell you how many random people have DM me and asked me this. Like, I, I'm not really sure. I my answer has been, I think there's a 65 to 70 percent chance we see the trade this week. I think there's intent from both parties to get it done. The real thing is just the standoff between Daryl Morey and Sean Marks. Sean Marks just paid a great price to get James Harden last season. He's not about to give him away for free. And, you know, like Alex pointed out earlier, they can just push this off to the offseason. If things don't work out this year, there's potential for the Nets to probably get around the same package from the Sixers this this offseason. So I would still say, though, about 65% chance we see it happen this week. All right. Alex, Justin, quickly. James Harden, a Sixer or a Net or neither? Oh, neither. <laughs> What's neither? <laughs> a hawk. I told you he's, he's going to be a hawk. Yeah. I think he's a net by the end of this week. I think they get close, but I think at the end of the day, Sean Marks decides we can wait on this. That's I'm leaning off season also, which is why I'm going to uh, turn off this Zoom call and immediately see that it has happened. This <laughs> yeah, let me just check my phone before we have to record for another hour. All right. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll have some coverage on Thursday for whatever happens to the Celtics. Go, if you are a Nets fan, go find the Brooklyn Buzz podcast because I'm sure Nick will have you covered for whatever happens to the Nets. Uh, Too many podcasts, to be honest. <laughs> Thursday afternoon. Nick, we love you. Thanks so much. And good, good luck over the next two days. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Always happy to be on. We'll see you in the play-in tournament. <laughs> Sadly, that might be true.